Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome back, ladies and germs, boils and ghouls, all those talking terror fans out there. It's once again that time. Your favorite podcast is live, Talking Terror. And this week we have the Ghoul Geek Keith giving us his film pick of the week, Mother, from 2017, directed by Darren Aronofsky. So, as always, we're going to be discussing that later on in the show and give you our thoughts. But first, I'm joined by the bold, the beautiful, the father to our mother, Keith. I am I, and I am fucking tired. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> yeah, having those, uh, you know, sleepy time moments. I hope you're uh, filled up on coffee and ready to go for tonight's episode. I uh, I poured myself a nice hot cup, and I have yet to actually drink any of it. So I'll, I'll get to it at some point or another. No, yeah, make sure you don't get it too cold. You want to have it at the right time. Get that maximum uh, coffee. Mm-hmm. Maximizing my caffeine intake, without a doubt, man. Maximizing the effort. Uh, tonight, we may or may not be joined by the demonic doctor himself. Uh, he's got some things that he's working on, so he may or may not join us. If he does, we'll be sure to bring him on, and I'm sure he's got plenty of thoughts for the movie that we're going to be talking about. But speaking of monkeys... We have him right out of his cage, throwing his tapioca pudding cups once again. It's the Mad Monkey Will. Hello, sir. Hey there, Fright fans. It's Talking Terrorist co-host, the Mad Monkey, broadcasting to you live from the Joking Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic here, bringing you another fun-filled, fact-filled, fright-filled episode of Talking Terror with my lovely co-host and my monster squad, the Talking Terror crew. How are you, my freaky darlings? Hello, monkey. Hello, Hello. I miss you, sweetie. <laughs> oh, kisses and hugs all around. XOXOs. Because we're professional. <laughs> we are. We, we keep it classy on the show. We are known for our classy behavior. That's we are the we last of ballots for every podcast. Yeah. No, we have to. We have to keep it in our pants sometimes. Sometimes we just have to let it go. I thought you kept it tucked. Yeah. Okay. Now, well, speaking so of, now, speaking of classy behavior and uh, keeping it tucked or untucked, I just want to sit there and jump in real quick. And I heard that the ghoul went full-on Winnie the Pooh this past weekend. Did he go to this weekend? Is that true, ghoul? Oh, that is very... I'm sitting there wondering what the fuck in God's name are you even talking about? But yes, yes, indeed. I, I, I went and saw Deadpool 2 this weekend. Um, you know, it's Father's Day on Sunday, and uh, me, the boy, and uh, very uncomfortably, the uh, my 13-year-old daughter and her girlfriend um, were all witness to... The madness that is fucking Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool uh, family. 
Oh, yeah, I'm glad that you finally got around to seeing it because I was tired of keeping me close to the chest with the spoilers and everything like that. But what did you think yeah. of the movie, Google, overall? Uh, again, man, you know, like, I, I really enjoyed the first Deadpool. Um, you know, the only complaint I have, and it's the same one I have with almost every comedy film in general, mm-hmm. um, I always find that a lot of comedy films, you know, obviously they hit you with the big jokes early on, and right. you hit a point in the movie where there's just no humor left in you to even, like, laugh at things anymore, you know? It's almost like it just hits a point where it's starts yeah. to trail away. Um, so I felt that with the first Deadpool, uh, this one, I almost felt like the beginning was so reserved and so serious at times that it was the second half of the movie where things really got funny. Like I really was at a point in the movie and I was tired. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I kind of felt like I was like almost getting drowsy and then shirt cock happened. And I fucking laughed so hard that I almost had tears pouring out of my fucking eyes. And from there on, the film really kind of like kicked into overdrive and everything was hysterical after that. Yeah. Go ahead, Monkey. No, I I, I wasn't going to say anything. I'm sorry. I was just clearing my throat. (laughs) What were you going to say, King? Oh, it's it's definitely the highlight of that movie because it's, one of those things where you kind of hope they don't drag it out too long because the longer they drag it out, the less funny it gets. But, no, I thought they, they had the appropriate amount of time on that joke to kind of just mm-hmm. like just right. Especially him hugging Cable when he stands up. I mean, you just see ass cheeks and a large dong coming at Cable, and he's like, oh, I just want to hug. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, they didn't even need to go with the dong. The legs alone were fucking hysterical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the fact that they put that fucking ding-dong in there, man, yeah, definitely, like, just it ratcheted it up to the next level. Um, you know, I know a lot of people were praising Brolin. Um, I did like what the Goonies joke that was in there. You know, I thought he was <laughs> yeah. a decent cable. You know, it's it's one of those where you're bringing a character like that in there, and his comic book history is so nightmarishly tangled and twisted, oh, yeah. and it's all kinds of complicated. It's a very difficult character to tackle. Um, I, I did enjoy the way he looked as Cable. I enjoy some of the stuff that he did as Cable, but I don't think for me it was like, you know, the ultimate representation of that character that I was hoping to see. Yeah, that's a hard one, that character, because, you know, like the monkey and I talked about numerous times, Cable has such an ambiguous kind of convoluted history. I was kind of glad that they didn't really give you that much of his character as far as the background. He's just there, and he's from the future, and he's stopping Fire Fist. And that's all that you really need to know <clears throat> about that character. Not who his parents are, you know, not his abilities. Chunky little fire fish. Yeah. No, not in the Deadpool universe. You know what I mean? That's not yeah. what you, you expect to get. But that is what almost makes me really wish, though, that this wasn't where he was introduced. You know, I would have I liked, you know, a full tale of, uh, of X-Force and Cable, as opposed to them promoting it the way they did, and then delivering <laughs> what they did with it. I, I personally Which, really yeah. enjoyed what they did with it, just because of uh, the amount of promotion that was involved, and then we get what we get. I I laughed my fucking ass off when we 
finally got to see the finished product of X-Force. <laughs> it, it was fucking great, man. Because you know what? Like, I was really mm-hmm. dreading seeing X-Force in this movie. Because um, I know they were talking about doing an X-Force movie for a while. And then it was oh, yeah. announced that they were going to be a part of Deadpool. And it was like, great. You know, like, what the fuck? You know? And then I saw, you know, I saw some of the shots of, like, what Shatterstar looks like and everything. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, wow, they're really fucking going there with this whole thing. So I was absolutely 100% pleased with the product that they put together with this (laughs) X-Force. Yeah, yeah. The way they handled the material. And what, what I really enjoyed about the sequel was they got a way bigger budget, okay? And I really enjoyed... A way bigger budget. Budget, man. Uh, no, but I really enjoyed. Uh, really watching Paulie Shore, man. No reason <laughs> to choose. <laughs> no, but, but I really enjoyed how they chose to spend their money on this movie, and how they spent it in ways that struck me as they did it intentionally just to piss off the producers. Like you know, like we got Celine Dion doing the main theme song. You know, we we have a huge another huge soundtrack for this movie. If you look at the credits, mm-hmm. like the soundtrack is huge. You know, and uh, random uh, cameos and guest appearances. You know, stuff like that that were used that you know totally burnt up the massive budget that they had. And it works, indeed. So, you know, and. Yeah. I definitely felt like it was. Oh, go I, ahead, like, I really, I mean, I know that you had said about the first half and the second half is kind of more funny, and I agree with that, but I actually like the fact that they worked a lot more with the comic book aspect of Deadpool. You know, the fact that he could be completely torn apart and blown up and, you know, burst to pieces and then put back together again because of the regeneration factor. You know, they went more mm-hmm. into that aspect of it, which I like, especially when Domino's carrying him around like a backpack. <laughs> so, so he had put back together. And, you know, it was great. And we finally get like a real comic book version of fucking Juggernaut. Um well, that yeah. was a complete surprise. I had no idea that he was in the neither, film at neither, all. Like, you know. Neither did I when I went to go see it. I I was just surprised that so, you were and pleasantly surprised, Ghoul. I did not know what monster they were going to bring out, you know, when they were talking about, you know, they keep that guy in the, in the basement or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think Reynolds, because I know Reynolds played it. Um, you know, he did a, did a good job of it again. Like it's one of those where it's, you know what, when you got such a big character like that and it's, CGI armored character again, similar to Colossus. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like the parts of them that are human that you do see, they're clearly not human looking. You know, so it's right. like one of those tough ones. I don't know if I preferred it over Vinnie Jones or not. I want to say yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because he was yeah. so bad, and that third fucking X Men movie was so terrible. Uh, like that was one of yeah. my like, biggest disappointments. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It definitely was a better representation than that, man. <laughs> and he had that weird helmet too in X Three. He had that weird, like, open face helmet for some reason. I'm like, that's not a Juggernaut's helmet. It covers his entire face. But I was glad that Deadpool yeah, well, kind of gave you that character. 
Yeah, well, they also, you know, he looked more like fucking uh, Ram Man from uh, He-Man than he did <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but... You know, but it does make me wonder, though, are we ever going to see a cable standalone movie now that Josh Brolin's playing the character? And I think it would make logical sense to maybe have that in the future. Cool. You're the uh, I mean, again, <laughs> no, go, when go you're ahead. talking about say, these I, characters, I, I, you're bringing in the new mutants is coming. No, go ahead, though, man. Because, yeah, like you said, I can, I can sit here and talk about it for fucking ages. So please fill, <laughs> fill in whatever you got, man. <laughs> no, 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 that's all I was going to say. Is I just want to hear what you've got to say because I'm – Really curious because I know you love the X Men movies. I know you are, you know, you absolutely love these movies, and I'm curious how yeah. how you feel about the possibility of Deadpool tying into the overall story arc of the X Men movies that Sony's putting out right now. I, mean, I I didn't love them all um, as far as the X Men movies go. Again, X Three not so great. Um, I thought Apocalypse had some fantastic moments, but I really wish that they went with a CGI apocalypse and not fucking a Smurf. Um, you know, considering they've done that now twice in the third X-Men movies. You know, you had Beast and the fucking... Uh, yeah, uh-huh. um, Isaac fucking whatever his name is. Oscar Isaac or, or Isaac Asimov. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Cable... Again, like we said earlier, Cable is a complicated character as it is. Now, the fact that they're bringing in um, New Mutants, which is fantastic. Um, right. You know, and is looking to be great uh, as far as it being a horror film. But I think as long as it can be a horror film that does tie into the greater greater thing. I mean, we've seen what they've done with the Marvel films as it is. Um, now that Disney, you know whatever the whole Fox deal and everything is going to be. I'm sure they're going to look to either tie the X-Men into the Marvel films in some way, or they're going to build a larger X universe, which I, you know, personally, I think I would rather see that, but I would like to see it more in line with the comic books. Cause that's what I really am. I'm, you know, more than an X-Men movie fan of an extra an X-Men comic book fan. And yeah, you know, like, I feel like from what we've gotten as far as the representations, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, it's it's good for what it is. It's good as a movie. But it's still yet to be the comic book. You know, I've still yet to see mm-hmm. something that kind of, like, really hits those same points that when I was reading them as a, you know, as a, as a teenager and as a, an adult, even, um, <laughs> it... It just never got there. And, like, I'm getting that now with the Marvel films, you know? And that's, I guess I'm spoiled with that because I want to see that with my X-Men movies. Yeah, and, and, and you bring up a really good point because the the X-Men universe and the MCU, I mean, you know, like, or Marvel universe, very were, very, you know, very much separated. It's like because you had the X-Men stuff, you know, concentrating on things like, you know, the, the mutant rights, the mutant liberation front, you know, all that storyline while the Marvel Universe was off doing its own thing, and when you would have a tie-in, it was always very awkward. It never felt natural when you would have a crossover with an, an X-Men character or an X-Men book, you know, and, yeah, I, I think you, you're probably quite right about, you know, keeping them separate and may, maybe a little bit of bleed-over, but for the most part, two separate entities. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, Marvel's going to want fucking Wolverine. I mean, because that's their big sure. thing, you know. They're going to want to stick him in with the fucking Avengers and every other goddamn thing under the sun. Um, I probably, Like I said, personally, I'd rather them keep to their own universe. I'm sorry, King, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. No, that's fine, yeah. No, I was going to say that what I really did appreciate about Deadpool 2 is that they did tie a lot into, you know, the X-Men universe. I love the, uh, the little, what was it, the little music player? that Wade has in his apartment, which is Logan dying at the end of Logan. Mm-hmm. And when you press down the stake, it spins around and plays like a little song. Um, and then when he, gets to the, when he gets to Xavier's school, you know, he's like, we still don't have a big budget. Like, we still can't afford more than you two. Like, why can't we do that? Then all of a sudden you have the shot behind him of, you know, Professor X and the Beast, you know, standing in the room behind him. They slowly close the doors. Because they don't mm-hmm. want to be seen by weight. I was like, that was perfect. To me, that was like one of those winks that I really appreciated this time around. Now, I haven't gone to IMDb or anything yet to check. Was that the actual actors? Because, like, I caught it quickly. And the guy playing Quicksilver didn't quite look right. So I wasn't like sure if it was just that, the, that if they got some lookalikes to make that joke or if they actually got the actual actors. Well, Monkey, didn't you say that you found out about that particular little clip? Yeah, they actually uh, filmed that little bit while they were uh, filming Dark Phoenix. So that is actually oh, okay, supposed cool. to be the actual cast. Like, they actually, you know, were like, okay, hold on a second, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to do this one scene for Deadpool, <laughs> and then we're going to go back to what we're doing. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, which, which was great. You know, and, and especially him breaking Cerebro. You know, Wade wearing some mm-hmm. and he ends up breaking it. I was like, yeah, that's just, it's so good. There were a lot of thing. great references in there, too, though, because even at the very beginning, like in stuff that had nothing to do with the Marvel Universe or the X-Men or anything, if in the beginning of the film, when he's laying there, you have air supply playing, mm-hmm. which harkens back <laughs> to Van Wilder. Because yep. there's that yep. scene he's in Van Wilder where yeah. he's all bummed out, and that's what he's listening to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, like I said before, there was the Goonies joke. There was a lot of killer little little tidbits that were in there, references towards Ryan Reynolds' own stuff as well as the the bigger stuff. I don't see them really sticking him into like a regular X Men movie. The, the stuff that he does and and his character it just it doesn't really fit into that larger arc. But knowing that he exists in that universe, I think, is fine, you know? And again, at least that ties into the fact that if they want to bring Cable into the bigger universe, well, then that ability is there, because obviously all of them exist there. But now the one question you have to have, if he's in that universe where those people are still there, then how is it that he's got a statuette of Logan dying? (laughs) Exactly. That's breaking the fourth wall, the fourth wall, the fourth wall. As Deadpool often does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, what it's because he's seen the movie. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And he got the <laughs> obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it just worked. I mean, and spoilers for anybody that hasn't seen Deadpool 2 yet, because I want to get into this one little bit before we move on. The post credit sequence, I think, was the greatest thing I'd ever seen Deadpool do. The fact that he went back in time and fixed fucking every timeline. Uh, that he could possibly okay. fix, especially with okay, don't, don't, okay, all right, all right, all right. Just don't give too many spoilers. We don't know who hasn't who hasn't, no, who hasn't seen it. I said, if you haven't seen it, this is spoiler territory, so I'm bringing it up. So yeah. if you haven't seen it, you know, cover your ears, people. 
But I wanted to get into that yeah. because obviously the three of us have yeah. seen it. So I wanted yeah. to get, uh, you know, the ghoul's take on that. What did you think about yeah. the post-credit sequence and uh, Deadpool fixing things? Oh, it was great. And, you know, I mean, I uh, I was happy that it came up because it's more of a mid-credit sequence. And I looked up before we left, you know, to find out for a fact that there were no end-credit sequences. Um, since right. Marvel has us so trained to sit there to the very fucking end. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, those, and, those credits yeah. get very long. And there Ooh. are no, yeah, and for those of you who have not seen it, there are definitely no scenes at the very end of the credits. Once you, once you watch the the mid-credit sequence, like the ghoul said, you can go home. <laughs> Just a juggernaut theme, that's it. Holy shit, it's juggernaut. Holy you can go on range. <laughs> I don't need to. So, yeah, you know, fixing the whole timeline with X-Men, Wolverine, Origins, like, you know, that that was perfect. <laughs> Fixing the timeline, don't mind me. Mm-hmm. Oh, works, you know, I don't think I don't think whether he did that or not, you know, it's never gonna fix it. Um <laughs> a hot, hot mess. And we all know what happens. There's nothing that can yeah, exactly, you know. We can just sit there and weep about it and and hold each other. Um <laughs> No, he tried again, to stop I, doing uh, that. I did, I did like the little bit. He did. He he did attempt. You know, I, I guess you know. He obviously didn't succeed, unfortunately. Somebody somebody else must be correcting, or you know, uncorrecting all of his little little things. That's when we have cable time hopping behind him, fuck, just to fuck with him and refixing his. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked a little bit more of Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Uh, I enjoyed her in the first film, and I felt like she was very underused in this. I mean, we only really see her use her power once, and that's in, in a defensive mode. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was surprising how little they used her. Yeah, seeing her in the trailers, I was excited that she was coming back. And, yeah, unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we we didn't get her. And, like, I was hoping for at least, you know, a good solid 15 minutes of airtime in the movie. No. Well, I mean, she was a highlight. I didn't, in the first film, I really didn't know what to expect with her, you know, when they brought her in. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, it's just like a silly joke. I don't know this character. And then, like, she turned out to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I... I Obviously, that kind of firepowers, it's a tough-ass character, which is also great. I like strong female characters like that. It's uh, it's something that's good. And it was great that she's dating Yuki because, you know, Yuki and Deadpool have their own kind of bromance going on, too. <laughs> Hi, Yuki. Hi, Deadpool. You know, for some reason, I, just, I cracked up every single time. It's just a little joke, but, man, I couldn't stop cracking up every time they came on screen together. I like it. I, <laughs> I have to say that you know I'll try to keep it as spoiler free as possible, but that end sequence almost had me in tears because it really oh, was yeah. kind of rough to watch that. Um which surprised me. You know, which I guess it shouldn't have because I mean obviously we've seen Reynolds do depth before. I mean, Van Wilder mm-hmm. is a fucking, you know, exploration of genius. Um, but I uh, I know he's got range and he yeah. comes off as, as all this cocky and all this and that, but honestly, the between him and uh, 
God, I'm drawing a total blank on her name right now, but uh, Vanessa. She, she was an act. Vanessa, yes, but uh, the actress's name. Um, I mean, she oh, yeah. really sold it. And see, mm-hmm. I, I know her from the Firefly series and Serenity. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I yep. already had a bit of something built up with her to begin with. So when she was in this movie, it was like great because, you know, the, the only other thing I know her from besides Firefly and Serenity was that short-lived V television series when they tried to reboot yes. V. And I was so <laughs> distraught to see she shaved her head because she had such a beautiful <laughs> head of hair. And uh-huh. it was like, oh, my God, you're f-. it felt like in the movie Shaolin Soccer, if you ever saw that, when the girl shaves her head and he looks at her and he's like, you look like a king. Yes, I have. I've seen Shaolin Soccer. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> great flick. Great, great flick. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, do we have any yeah, horror about, news? I mean, we're talking all comic we do. book here, man. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. kind of segue into is that to kind of, you know, close in on Deadpool 2. We've all seen it, the three of us. Not like the doc would have anything to say about it because he hasn't really seen any hard, uh, action movies since uh, Iron Man. You know, as as well, no, you didn't movies. see his post the other. Uh, did he, I, I don't know if he put it into the group chat or not. He might have just texted me it. He finally watched Deadpool. I've not gotten his uh, uh, opinion on it yet. Wow. Oh, that's all. Awesome. Finally, got around to Deadpool. Wow, good for him. You know, he's he's making his way. <laughs> you know, I think slowly but surely he'll find a way to watch the rest of these movies. It's a daunting task, especially for him, but. Um, so that yeah, I wanted to wrap up the Deadpool two thing and go to the monkey because I know he had a little thing that he wanted to talk about uh, in regards to the, the Adam monkey. Family. I do, I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seems that MGM, uh, let's see here, a studio that brought us all the awesome Don Bluth animation from the eighties, Secret of Nim, Land Before Time. Let's not forget, you know, the the old Space Ace and Dragon's Lair video games. Um, the, the studio that brought us that has slowly been trying to dip its toe back into the animation process. It has failed, of, in my opinion, the past couple of years. Its latest movie, uh, Sherlock Gnomes, which was a total piece of shit. Before that, yeah. Before that was the uh, French-directed um, kind of horror. You know, it's supposed to be horror family, whatever movie uh, of Igor. All right, but now okay. MGM is getting into this, and they are making a new CGI theatrically released movie about the Adams family. It's got a star-studded cast of, um, you know, with Ray Karen, uh, Oscar Isaac. Hey, look at that! It's a possibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how you said it, boys. That's how you said it. Landed it. Charlie <laughs> Theron, um, and then uh, Finn Wolfhead from Stranger Things and It. Wolfhard. And, yeah, you know, so so we've got, you know, a cast here, and this is supposed to be that theatrical release movie, and this is supposed to cover about how Morticia and Gomez met, how they formed their family and whatnot. Um in my, like, uh, me, I'm kind of torn because I'm personally excited to be seeing any new thing involving the Adams Family that isn't a direct-to-video movie. You know, I'm mm-hmm. excited that anything's getting theatrically released. Um, but, again, I'm torn, though, because the animation style, to me, looks extremely, and, uh, and in a very lazy way, stylized. And not I saw a good that, way, yeah. but... Yeah. 
and not in a good way like the Batman the Animated Series. This strikes me as them just being lazy when it comes to CGI. And unfortunately, aside from them meeting, it looks like the storyline is involving, once again, the Adams Family being the weird ones in the neighborhood. You know, uh, neighborhood associations aren't happy with them, and, you know, white suburban mothers want to sit there and ter- somehow get them to be like everybody else. Hmm. Well, well, I, I mean, mean, what do you think really? about it? Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I think really the biggest thing, well, one, what I found with the animation style, because I saw, I, I didn't really read up much on it, but I saw what the picture that you had posted. Um, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, one, I think it's very Burton-esque, which if you're going to yes. go that yes. route with it, then you know what, man, just fucking hire Tim Burton and make a movie. Why bother with the whole cartoon thing? Um, I think if you're you're using the company, if you're the company that is built on all of those classic style 80s cartoons, then I have an idea, man. Why not make this a classic 80s style cartoon? Or go back even further and make this something more in the vein of like a 60s or 70s cartoon. Um, to, to draw back to the origins of the whole Adams Family thing. That being said, I think that whereas, yeah, Morticia and Gomez meeting, I mean, obviously then we're getting Adam's family origins. Uh, I think there's only so many stories that can be told with the Adam's family. And I think they've kind of been told. So, yeah, there's, there's only so much that you can do. There's only so much depth to the characters. There's only so many stories that can be told that are either going to involve in-family drama, supernatural drama, or outside sources creating drama because of them being so supernaturally weird. You only have three places you can go with it, so I think any storyline they put out is going to feel tired. Yeah. um, I mean, I like the the first Adam Sandler movie that came out back in the 90s. With Raul oh, Julia I loved it. And Angelica Houston. I loved I didn't like the follow-up. I, I thought that was just kind of a, you know, yeah. But the first Dude, one was great. Thanks, Thanksgiving was awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> I thought it was kind of stupid with the baby and everything like that. I, I don't know. I just I didn't okay, like, it was I, like I, the first Adam Sandler. I, I agree, but th- in my opinion, Thanksgiving saved the second movie. Yeah, well, that whole end sequence was great. But, you know, the, but it makes you wonder, though, you know, it's like, I think the Adams Family have already had their shot. I mean, they've had, you know, movies. They've had direct-to-DVD movies. They've had this animated one that's coming out. They had the cartoon series back in the day. I kind of want to see the Munsters mm-hmm. make a resurgence. Because I was always more of a Munsters guy than an Adams Family guy. You know, I just appreciated the storyline of the Munsters more than I appreciated that of the Adams Family. So, I'm kind of surprised nobody's trying except for that really lame live-action pilot that never got released, 1313 Mockingbird Lane, with uh, Jerry O'Connell playing yeah. Hermit Monster. <laughs> and Eddie is and Eddie is his grandpa. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you know, Adam's Family has its fan base, and I don't know. I'm sure it'll be successful when it comes out, if it does get theatrical release, but I don't know. Like, I think it's, it's time to revisit something else other than the Adam's Family. I don't know what you guys think about yeah. that. Well, I, mean, well, I, I think you know it's it's obviously going to introduce it to a younger audience. Um, yeah. But you know, aside from that, yeah, I, I don't think I'll, I'm definitely not going to go to the theater to watch it. You know, <laughs> it's something that I'll, I'll wait till it comes out and then I'll just get it. 
Well, well, the king brings up an interesting point. I wanted to ask you, Will. Do you, like, of the two families, that you know, it always seems like, you know, you're on one side or the other. Do you think the Munsters need another shot? Do you think it can, and do you think it can be pulled off successfully? No. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> One more of a reason why? Thanks, um, Doc. <laughs> oh, come on. I had to bring the spirit of the doctor in for a second. Um, Fred Gwynn made the monsters. Um, oh, yeah. He was fantastic, and you're never going to be able to recreate that. You can't bring him back. Um, there's just there's no comparison to it. And any actor that they get for it is never going to be that. Um, it's like when they did the Three Stooges movie. Um, oh, nobody yeah. can ever compare to those <laughs> characters, to those people. And, yeah. you know, they can do it, they can make it, and it's just never, it's going to always pale and pale to the original. Um, I think whereas Adam's family, the best part about that was that the actors from the original series, as much as they stood out, when they remade those movies in the 90s, they got actors and actresses that very much fit the bill for it. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't hard to do. I can see Oscar Isaac being Gomez Adams easily. You know, the guy has that look. He played a similar character, I think, in... Uh, what the heck was that movie? Everybody hates it, but I didn't think it was terrible. Um, oh, the chicks. They're dancers in, like, a mental facility or whatever it is. Oh, oh, uh, oh. Yes, yes, yeah, Sucker Punch. That was good. Yeah, I like Sucker that Punch. So I'm, I'm there with you. you know, I love that movie. I, I thought he very much, like, there were scenes where he looked exactly like Gomez Adams, so I could easily see him playing the role. Um... <laughs> So, you know, like, I, I feel like Adam's family, if they can come up with some original story, original content, just make a fucking movie. Don't do a cartoon. That's all. Well, and to your point, uh, like you had just said about Fred Gwynn playing Herman Munster, uh, this past week, actually Monday, was the official first start of filming for Pet Cemetery. And like we had talked about, Fred Gwynn played Judd Crandall in that movie, and now we're getting uh, John Lithgow. So, like we had talked about, I don't know if he's going to be fitting the bill of Judd Crandall the way that Fred yeah. did. I think you have to be but different. Judd Crandall is a character from a book. You know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. Judd Crandall is a character already. You know, Fred Gwynn made Herman Munster, Herman Munster, you know. As much as he might have been a great representation of the character from the story, you can always have another actor come in and perform that role. Um, but again, like I said, like, you know, when, when the character, it, it'd be like somebody trying to be Gilligan. You know, like, yeah, you can get an actor <laughs> yeah. to do it, but it's just never going to be the same. Yeah, I'm surprised. I don't think that one ever got a reboot, did it? Gilligan's Island? I know Dukes of Hazard did back in the day with uh, Johnny Knoxville and Sean and Scott. I don't think I don't think Gillian's Island ever did did a reboot. I could be wrong. Well, that's, but... because, well, that's because we that's because we had the horrible cartoon in the eighties called Gilligan's Planet. Uh-huh. Gilligan's Planet. Wow. I think oh, they did something oh, you don't, you don't with it at some that? point. <laughs> they, they yeah, was that called Titan A? You leave that movie alone. Dis- that was, that, that was, was a disappointment if ever there was one. Oh, dude, that movie was <laughs> awesome. 
That was, that was the Dude, last that movie, movie that was, was terrible. You know what, man? I had so much hope for that film because I saw the trailer, and I'm like, oh, my God, wow, what an interesting take on science fiction. We've got, you know, the Earth is fucked, so we launch off into space in, in, a, in an Earth, like a small Earth-like space shuttle, and then it just turned into like a regular cartoon, man. And it was like, okay, there's no intelligence behind this whatsoever, which is what I was hoping and expecting. It, it was a treasure hunt to find the roots of humanity. Uh-huh. That's all the I wanted to see man's desperate survival in space within a small contained planet. Okay. Uh, okay. I've heard of that movie. Yeah. I, just, I keep thinking of Vin Diesel for some reason. Like he did it's like a Vin Diesel. That's Pitch no, Black. Matt Damon. <laughs> no, he did another one after Pitch Black that was like a sci-fi movie, and I thought it was uh, type uh, A. But Chronicles of Riddick? Uh, no, it was another one where... He was trying to rescue some girl on a planet. It wasn't. Okay, I, obviously that's, it wasn't that's, that's another one. I've seen that one, too. <laughs> that sounds like Pitch Black. No, no, I want to say I think the one he's call, talking about, I think it's called Utopia. Maybe. Like, I don't have his. Uh, yes, Utopia sounds yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, going from the Adams Family to another film from the 90s uh, that actually got announced as being rebooted, uh, from 1990, there was a movie called The Witches. I don't know if you guys remember that movie. It was Angelica Houston. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. A, yeah. yeah. And the kid turns into witches, the mouse. Uh, yeah, and she, turns, oh, she wants to turn all the kids into mice. Uh, apparently, it was announced just the other day that Robert Zemeckis and Guillermo del Toro are teaming up to create a new movie uh, based on the original source material, which is a lot darker than what we got in 1990. But he wants to make a brand new witches movie for this generation of kids. Which I think is awesome. Like I'm fully behind that project because I love that movie. I love that movie too, and like that's the thing. Like I almost wish, like rather than like redo it, why not just continue off of what was there? You know, let's continue the story. Um, Angelica Houston was just perfect in age and look at that point. Um, oh, oh, God, yeah. they were so creepy. The makeup was fucking awesome. Oh, mm-hmm. there's that whole scene when they're fucking eating the one. Yeah, they didn't want to turn <laughs> yeah. kids into mice. They wanted to fucking eat them. They only turned him into a mouse because, you know, he had heard what was going on. Well, him and his friend, like his fat little friend got turned into a yes. mouse, too. His, ch- his chubby yeah, friend, yes. <laughs> yeah. But it was just, you know, the, the whole the painting, too. I remember being a kid, that used to freak me out, the painting of the little girl. And mm-hmm. she just disappeared from it. I'm like, oh, see, it was so good. Like, you know, for 1990, it's kid-friendly, but it's scary. But to have, you know, Robert Zemeckis of Back to the Future fame and Guillermo del Toro in his own right, you know, producing it, I think that this could be a good one for kids, you know, to take them to, you know, if they do it the right way. I think it could be a good yeah. way to introduce them to the story. If they do it, too, because that's always a problem when you're dealing with Guillermo del Toro, man. uh, Now that he's got an Oscar, um, you know, something like that may not be something he really wants to to do. He might be better than that now. Well, he already said he's producing. I mean, they already announced that he's he's officially locked in as producer. Okay, Okay, cool. Yeah, he's on. All right. Now, you're saying he produces things. Okay. Now, I want to ask you guys, just because we all know that uh, Toro is a very art-driven uh, director. Do you, mm-hmm. 
I, I'm just curious, like, your opinions here is when he's involved with the project, do you think he's going to be able to get past and let go his personal art style into a movie? It's a good question. Like it depends help, on like, how much you know, involvement like, like, he wants to have with it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He, he's the Again, producer, it, it, so he might just be in the background, you know, just putting his name on the project. You know, he might just do it that way, you know. Uh, just, no, just, just yeah. you, mm-hmm. uh, oh, oh no, I was just gonna say because I like I like his ideas and I like his approach. I'm just not personally a fan of his uh, <laughs> art style that he puts into movies. Oh, that's why I disagree. I like his art style. There's things that I like. There's things that I don't. Um, you know, my my intro to him was Blade Two. Um, as I think mm-hmm. a lot of the American audience, you know, I have gone back though and watched Kronos and, uh, you know, films like that. And like, yeah, he's guy, he's like a hit or miss with some of his stuff. I like Pacific Rim, but like I said, I really didn't like Pacific Rim too, but there's touches of him in Pacific Rim too, specifically mm-hmm. a, specific relationship going on between um, Charlie Day and his wife, which is fucking bizarre, and it definitely is something that feels like it was it feels like it was something that was probably in Guillermo del Toro's original script of it um, Mm -hmm. that didn't get you know what I mean, that only parts of that got held over for the sequel when when time came to actually finish everything because he didn't have any involvement with it by the time it was done. But I know he had written a draft for it originally. He was going to do it, and then he got the ability to do uh, Shape of Water. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I honestly think that Guillermo del Toro would be great, though, for his visionary style and his artistic style for the Witcher. I think he's the perfect go-to for that because I think he could create a great universe with these witches and what they look like when they actually become witches and the environment that they're in. I think he's the perfect choice if I were to pick while still, But while still being able to keep it family-friendly, do you think? As friendly as he can. I mean, even the first one had moments where it's like, ah, this is kid-friendly, <laughs> you know, but it's questionable. But they want to go darker. You know, they want to go closer to the 1973 book by Roald Dahl where it's a lot darker. Yeah. The, the ending is a lot more kind of not so kid-friendly, as Roald Dahl kind of showed in his books, where the movies are like, oh, it's kid-friendly, Willy Wonka and Trucker Factory. But you read the book, and you're like, wow, he's fucked up. He's actually killing that <laughs> <laughs> you know, He's not pulling any punches. But I think that you could still make a great kid-friendly movie and still keep it dark. I think it's possible. What? You know, Which does lend the question because, I mean, obviously we've seen him do it in the past with other doll stuff. Why do you get mm-hmm. Zemeckis and not Burton? Like, Burton yeah, would yeah. seem like the perfect choice for this universe, you know? It doesn't feel like something that's going to get any bigger than, than the one movie, you know? And it feels like it would be right up Burton's alley. You know, I'm still hoping that they make the uh, Miss Peregrine sequel because um, I enjoyed that film. I enjoyed the book series, though I have to uh, still get through book two and finally read book three. Now, now speaking about bringing back 90s guitar, that was all popular and stuff like that. Uh, King, didn't you hear about another uh, 90s guitar project that was in the works? Uh, refresh my memory. 
you were talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, yeah, and I've, I've brought it up on the show that uh, in 2019 they're going to be releasing a Are You Afraid of the Dark movie. Uh, that was originally, you know, they had touted it for 1998. Uh, they were going to make a Are You Afraid of the Dark movie because of how successful the show was on Nickelodeon at the time, but the studio that was making these Nickelodeon movies thought the material was too dark and it was too scary for kids because it involved the boogeyman and the boogeyman killing children and taking them away. So the studio was like, yeah, we're not going to do this. We, it's just too dark, too violent, you know, it's too weird. So they balked at the project. But now we cut to 2018 and they announced that they're going to make an Are You Afraid of the Dark movie for, I think, a specific audience. I think it'd be better off if it was just a direct-to-DVD movie rather than theatrical because I don't think that you're going to get the audience numbers theatrically as you get putting it straight to DVD. You know, I think it's a lot better that way. Because I think Are You Afraid of the Dark fans are a select group. Like, I don't think either of you guys really liked that show when it was on. I think you guys are too old by that time. The show was really kind of making Yeah. I was too old, but at the same time, I had uh, um, younger siblings. I had nephews and nieces that were all into the show. So yeah, I would watch it with them. You know, it was a. I I personally found it like a, a great time to just be able to sit with them and watch them start to get into horror, just because it was, and to to watch where they progressed later on with their horror viewings. You know, but yeah, this along with Goosebumps was their introduction to horror for, you know, for a lot of the millennials. And Goosebumps was a fun movie with Jack Black. I actually watched it recently, and it was actually a really fun movie. Like, I had a good time, and I was kind of glad that they made that so kids could get introduced to that universe of Goosebumps that R.L. Stein created back in the 90s. So it was a good way yeah, to do it. And, and I went and saw in theaters, and I really enjoyed watching the people who are young parents now taking their kids and they were, you know, having a, you know, like, seeing the, the eyes light up in the parents, you know, of showing their kids the stories that they grew up with, you know, because it wasn't just one or two stories. You know, it, they, they covered the gambit, I thought, as yeah. far as oh, yeah. the, the Goosebumps series. And it, I had so much fun just, you know, wa- watching the people who were now parents and introducing their kids to, you know, this world of horror that they grew up with. Which, again, like we had talked about with the witches and now with Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps, you know, it's kind of a cool thing that they have this stuff in the 90s that these kids nowadays could actually go back to and read, you know, the source material. They can go back and watch repeats of Are You Afraid of the Dark on YouTube now and kind of see where the source material came from and get a better appreciation for the old school stuff that came out in the 90s and watch the new stuff. So, you know, I, I think it's a great time for kids in horror to get introduced to it at a ground level. Uh, I'm just keeping quiet on it because I really, I didn't, I was too old, or at least in my opinion, to read most of the Goosebumps stuff. I was at that, my sisters did though. Um, And like the Are You Afraid of the Dark thing, like I, again, like I hit that weird thing because my sisters are are my half-sisters. So they were too young to ever really watch that or if they were into it I was too old to really give a shit that they were watching it um, <laughs> so I really had no idea what it was you know so I, I, I don't remember really like 
enjoying anything that they were watching for the most part until I think all that came out, and then I kind of kind of got into that. It was, <laughs> it was fun, man. Fun. Yeah, Keenan and Kel and all that, and you know, the Adventures of Pete and Pete. I mean, there were so many good shows back in Nickelodeon back in the nineties. Um, you know, looking back at it, but you know, when I was a kid, I was also watching uh, Tales from the Dark Side and Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. I was into oh, yeah. horror too. But it was kind of cool to have that on Saturday night to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark and have a new episode, and then also watch Tales from the Dark Side and Tales from the Crypt and get that aspect, too, because I was young, but at the same time, I understood what it was. It was fake, and it was just good horror. Like, you know, it's just I appreciated it. And, you know, looking back at it now, I, I kind of want kids to get into that ground level of horror with things like Goosebumps, because they don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know, like, what kids are reading nowadays. So I can't really say if there's a horror niche for kids like there was back in the day with R.L. Stein and, you know, shows like oh, it's still there. Dark, but I kind of hope there is. It's really? still there. I, mean, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what they're called, but I know that they're there. You know, we're at the bookstore often, and, mm-hmm. you know, I know Sammy's read some things that are kind of like horror-related for her age group, and mm-hmm. a lot of things these days are are genre-blended, um, okay. You know, you might not think it was a horror style thing, but then it ends up being like in there in a weird sort of way. Like even Miss Peregrine's books were very much in that theme. Um, you know, whereas there was almost like a, a horror element to it because they took like you know some some old famous like, real pictures that have like some real strange imagery in them. And then built a world of characters around those images, you know, and they're all real pictures. It's just that, you know, whatever, if it was just a trick of photography at the time or what, um, but they, right. they built characters around it. And some of it is, and some of it's horrifying. I mean, there's a girl that's got a fucking mouth with sharp teeth in the back of her head, you know, it's, it's weird shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's teen reading. Uh, you know? that's, that's what younger yeah. kids are reading these days. She gives a rough well, blowjob teen- from the back, man. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been to Barnes and Noble recently, you know, looking around in the sections, and I noticed in the back of the teen section where the kids' books are, they have it separated by teen paranormal, teen romance, you know, teen, you know, teen fiction. So, you know, there's independent, you know, genres that they have. So, I just you know, I'm well past that point of reading those books. But it's kind of cool that they have it segregated now because back in the day, it wasn't like that. You just kind of found what you liked and you read it. So at a young age, I got into Stephen King, Dean Koontz, you know, but at the same time, I was also reading Arnold Stein. So, I mean, it was, I was all over the place. Wherever I can get my horror fix is where I was going to get my horror fix. But at least nowadays, you have it separated where you can actually look and say, okay, I want a ghost story or I want a slasher story or, you know, something else with vampires or zombies. And you can find your niche. Mm-hmm. But the last thing Indeed. I wanted to bring up before we get into uh, Find modern, your niche, motherfucker. Find your niche. <laughs> Read a book, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's one to grow on. <laughs> That's the king of horror. He say, "Read a book, bitch." The more you know. <laughs> yeah. Da, na, na, na. But the last thing before we get into mother in the background. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to bring up before we get into mother is they released set pictures from the upcoming Terminator movie with uh, Linda Hamilton reprising her role as Sarah Connor. But what I found is interesting what? is that this story, yeah, she's returning with Arnold Schwarzenegger for the subcut news. Yeah. She's what? making a return to the series. Is, is, is Sylvester Stallone going to be in this movie? 
No, no special story. <laughs> but it is Linda Hamilton playing Sarah Connor again. But what I thought was interesting, this is the one I bring up to you guys real quick, is that they are ignoring, much like Halloween, they're ignoring every sequel that came past T2. So there is no other sequel past T2 in this universe that they're going to present us with, with this upcoming Terminator movie coming out next year. So I kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that, because I know you both love Terminator and wanted to see where you guys' opinions are, that they're doing the Halloween thing, whether it's going to ignore movies that came before it. Uh, cool, go ahead. <laughs> okay, their, their heart is in the right place. Um, I don't mind them ignoring everything that came after T2. I only <laughs> oh, yeah. wish that this came out maybe 15 to 20 years ago. Yes. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. I think it's too little too late. But the fact that they're doing the Halloween thing where it's like, yeah, that, all those other sequels never happened. It's just we're moving on from T2. So where's Edward Furlong? Bring him back. I know he's not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ed, Ed's yeah. on the fucking corner trying to fucking score, man. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Sorry, Ed. I, I don't know if, for real if, yeah, you're fucking, if, you're, if you're fucked up or not, man. You just you look terrible in pictures, dude. Um, just so you know. In case, in case any furlong or any of his people are, are, are listening, man, do me a favor, buddy. Get to a meeting, okay? It works if you work it. Trust me on that. Um... <laughs> Fucking uh, yeah, I uh, no, I didn't hate the latest one that they did either. Um, though I do, I do feel like a lot of it was telegraphed. But I didn't mm-hmm. mind them doing the hard reboot. I didn't mind them bringing in you know Khaleesi as the new fucking Sarah Connor. Um, she's right. easy on the eyes and she's not a terrible actress. And, you know, I didn't even mind Arnold, you know, old Arnold. I liked what they <laughs> did with old Arnold. You know, they made him fucking old. They made him irrelevant and they put it into the story. It made sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, they better be crafting some fucking like serious, serious fucking great shit with this film, if they're going to really go through this whole entire process, man, because that whole fucking film series is full of so many fucking paradoxes anyway, that it's convoluted (laughs) as shit, even if you just take the first two movies. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, that's what they're planning on doing. So, you know, what do you think, Monkey? No, and that was the thing. It's the series. It's like, um, you know, because I watched it to, I think it was five when... We have John Connor actually in the bunker with the chick, and, you know, he puts out that he's John Connor, he's leader of the resistance. Was that five? That's that's the third one. Oh, only the third one? Shit. All right. <laughs> but, only the third one. That's the one with Claire Danes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, but I felt like in that one, they had pinned themselves into a corner, you know, and you could really do nothing else with it, you know, and, like, they had pretty much set up the entire universe of what what it's going to do. And the, the bitch is, like like the ghoul said, it's like, we're talking about time travel. There's constant paradoxes where anything can change at any moment. So, you know, nothing can be really considered canon because it, it can always be, you know, changed at the flip, literally the flip of a script because we time traveled and decided to change something else here. 
you know, and that's the bitch about the Terminator series is anything can change because you sit there and do a Bill and Ted thing and, you know, time travel back and be like, remember a trash can, remember a trash can. You know, we can fix this <laughs> from the last movie, you know, and it's just, you know, if anything, I don't want to see Terminator movies. If anything, I would like to see movies that take place during the whole Resistance era, you know, and mm-hmm. movies that take place after things are set, and you actually have the humans fighting the Terminators, and those are the movies I would actually like to see where they take the time, write out scripts, and actually show the actual battles that we saw in the first movie, the first five minutes of the first movie. I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's what, like, I'm sitting here in my head, like, you know, wanting to just, you know, obviously I'm, I'm doing very well of controlling my outbursts, but... <laughs> That's, I mean, how about rather than going back to the well, bringing back fucking, you know, Linda Hamilton and Arnold and all that shit, I have an idea. Why don't they show us the fucking war finally? You know, like the mm-hmm. actual, like, war portion yes. of it. We were supposed to get that with, um, what was the fourth Salvation. one called? Termi- Terminator Salvation. And instead that turned out to just be fucking kind of shitty. And then we got shitty yeah. CGI Arnold at the end of it. And then yep. you get fucking, you know, Genesis, which goes back and, like, reboots everything anyway. So, I mean, I can't say I want to see the future of anything, because obviously, I guess the idea, again, you got to figure out what they're doing with time travel, because, I mean, what happens after they send everybody back? I mean, they send the Terminator, they send, you know, fucking Kyle, they send all this and that, but that world, those people, they don't just vanish and go away. So they're still existing afterwards. So is that what the Matrix movies are? Are the Matrix movies the true sequels to the Terminator? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do know that James Cameron is working on this one, too, so that might be a shot of a highlight. Along with fucking 18 sequels to Avatar. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this one's actually but, getting but that, made. That's a but that's the thing is, like, in the first Terminator movie, in the first ten minutes, uh, Carpenter gives us this awesome, awesome, you know, like, just panoramic scenes of the... I'm uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron. <laughs> yeah, Cameron. No, but we get these awesome scenes of just these battlefields that are just, you know, <clears throat> ridden waste and whatnot all over the place, and these awesome you know, models that were just built and, you know, panning all over the camera and stuff like that. And it's like, I want to see the story of what happens in those battlefields. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to... I don't care about Arnold, you know, sorry, Sarah Connor, I don't care about your story. It's like, (laughs) I actually want to see the story about the resistance and the stuff that they go through. Unfortunately, I think it would be, as much as I want to see it, it's like, the problem is, is it actually going to be worth seeing, or is it going to be like rewatching that uh, TV show Captain Tower? Mm. <laughs> well, hey, Captain you know, Tower. Captain Tower was I mean, the one that you uh, like interacted with, wasn't it? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was the one where you had um, you you had yeah, the phaser uh, gun or um, some shit. Well, yeah, you had the um, <clears throat> planes that you would fly around and shoot at the television screen as while the uh, episodes went on. But it was very mm-hmm. dark, and, like, it was really dark. It was really messed up. It was very, very Terminator-ish, you know, for the time. I didn't have the and, toy, and so was, I didn't watch the show. And, and it was Canadian. <laughs> no, yep, yep. 
All the more reason yeah. why I didn't watch it. <laughs> but to kind of go from, you know, that talk, because obviously details about the film plot haven't been released yet, only that James Cameron's working on and Arnold Schwarzenegger's going to be in it and Linda Hamilton. So I kind of want to go away from that until we get further details to the movie of the week tonight, Mother of Well, well hold on, hold on, Diana. though. So Linda Hamilton, right? She yeah. is John Connor's mother. So going yep. off of that, I think it's time we talk about Mother. See, that's why you're the king oh! of horror. Yeah. <laughs> I may be the king it's of horror. Segway right there, see? <laughs> yeah. So give it to us, cool. Professional. Uh, oh. What do you want to know? Uh, mother. What? What is mother? That is a fucking great question, okay? Because mother is one fucking whacked kind of film. Uh, I remember when the trailers started coming out, the pictures, the images for the, uh, you know, the, the, the poster and all that stuff. It seemed like it was being touted as a horror film. Um, yeah. I know that much to the chagrin of the director and everybody else around it, it kind of, you know, it, it really, it was, it was advertised wrongly. While it does retain some horror aspects, this is one of those genre benders. This kind of takes a couple of different things, puts it all together, and then delivers a really fucking weird telling of basically the Bible, man, which yep. is just fucking yep. bizarre. And yeah, I happened to, uh, when it got released on Xbox, I, I grabbed it, and uh, as, as I'm wont to do with new films, and we watched it, and we finished it, and we both kind of like looked at each other like, wow, we need to definitely do this film on the show, because it sure. definitely warrant for discussion. Well, let's see, so like, it stars a Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. Uh, mother, <laughs> she's in the house. And uh, she's in the house, and she lives with a guy who is a writer who is having writer's block, and they are then inundated with all kinds of people of various types, I guess all representative of, of humanity. I guess, man. I mean, it's deep, dude. It's hard to really give you a fucking plot with this, man. All I know is that Jennifer Lawrence's titties come out near the end, but unfortunately, her face is getting beat the fuck up. (laughs) On one hand, you feel bad. On the other hand, you want to jerk off. And that's Mother. See? That's what happens when I think about Mother. There you go. So, Monkey, what'd you think about Mother? All right. First of all, we do see Jennifer Lawrence's titties. Second of all, when we see Jennifer Lawrence at the beginning of the movie, walking around in her nightgown with the sun showing through, as mm-hmm. she stands on the front of the porch, all we can think about is, damn, I hope we can see Jennifer Lawrence's titties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, am I wrong, fellas? Um, you are, because I didn't care. Okay. Okay. Um, wow. Dude, yeah, and, and uh, I measure his dick either, so. No, um, I don't. Ghoul, it's small. Okay, uh, Ghoul, you said you wanted us to keep track of when we actually figured out when things were going on in this movie. Um, I was very adamant about that. I watched this movie. I took notes. Um, I paid attention to this. I plugged in I, w- with my headphones. I made sure that I was 
100% separated from everything as I watched this movie. Mm. After reading what this movie is supposed to be about, Ghoul, I had no idea what the fuck was going on in this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, t- I-, I took this movie as the spirit of a woman who was trapped in a house and she was reliving her life through encapsulated moments throughout time and she was having to relive those moments over and over and it was someone that was coming through and resetting the timer on her life. And all of the physical aspects that we were going to get into completely glossed over me and I missed a 100% all of it. I'm sorry, my synapses don't no. fire like you guys. I, I don't uh, I can't fire like you guys do. I didn't grasp any of the biblical implications that came in, and I just took this as the soul, you know, the like a spirit trapped in a house, reliving her life over and over and over again. Mm. And I'm and sorry, see, I completely missed this. Do not no, do not apologize about that because you that's fucking no. beautiful right there, man. The fact I, of the matter is, and this is something me and the Ghoul Girl were talking about because she. You know, I watched it, obviously, again for the show. I split it over two different nights because you know, I've been getting in late from work and everything. She didn't see the second half of it with me the other night, so she watched that today. So when I got home, she was just, like, at the tail end of the film. And, you know, I watched the end again with her. And it's one of those films, like, where afterwards, after it's all said and done, you don't – you just know that you saw something. You know, like, this yeah. film – Honestly, it's 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 almost what like I don't want to give Darren Aronofsky like this kind of Please praise, don't. but this don't. is kind of the kind of movie that people make movies for. This is it's it's yeah. art, you know, and it's it's a telling of something in a way that is going to affect people differently. Some people are going to see some kind of one kind of movie in it, whereas somebody sitting right next to them is are going to see something else entirely because it all depends on you, your thought process, how everything works in yourself, and that's what you're seeing when you're seeing this movie, which is what's fascinating. So no, thank you. I find it very interesting. I um the reason why I'd asked both you and the doc and the doctor for that, I just like I always do. Um, well, before I start talking about that, King, what did you think about the movie? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> King, because you're not going to like my opinion, so it's going to be fine. All right, whatever, man, <laughs> but, it's all good, dude. Yeah. Just don't no, bust know, on Jennifer know, Lawrence, and we're good, dude. <laughs> I'm not going to bust on Jennifer Lawrence because I actually do like Jennifer Lawrence as an actress. She so is I won't fucking bust hot. <laughs> so. Um, and she is a great actress. Just, she is. She's fantastic. I mean, I, I've always appreciated her in movies. But, you know, a couple weeks ago we watched Graduation Day, and you said, oh, man, this movie's really tedious. And I kind of fell asleep, and it was really boring. And I'm like, well, that's Mother. <laughs> it's a very tedious movie. It's, you know, it's a slow burn, which I appreciate. At the same time, you kind of nailed it on the head, Ghoul, when you had said this movie was marketed the wrong way when it first came mm-hmm. out, because I saw this in the theater when it first came out, because of how it was marketed. You know, this is the scariest movie of the year. You're going to love Mother. It's going to just fuck you up, man. Like, it's just going to be so good. And I'm like, oh, man. I was like, I like Darren Aronofsky. You know, I like Requiem for a Dream. I thought that was a good one. But uh, I went to the theater and saw Mother, and I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, I, I didn't think it was a horrible movie, but watching it again, and knowing what's coming, you know, throughout the movie, because this is my second time watching it, 
you know, the, the whole paradox of religion. It's, it's right there, you know, and I think you have to watch this movie a second time to kind of get it. <laughs> you know, sit down in a room, put your headphones in like the monkey does, and watch it again. Because when you watch this movie, you know, you see Jennifer Lawrence walking through this house, and she's talking about how she built it up from the ground up. It was burned to the ground, and she just rebuilt it just exactly as it was because that's what, you know. And the one thing I will say is I like the fact that the characters never had names. Mm-hmm. Because there was never a name for the character. It was him, it was mother, it was woman, it was man. You know, I kind of like the fact that they didn't give names to these characters because I felt like that would take away from the message, which this is Mother Earth and God. Javier Bardem is God. He's the creator. And this is Mother Earth, and he's neglecting Mother Earth because he wants people to love him, and he wants people to adore him and respect him for the creator that he is of his work. Ed Harris is phenomenal in this movie. Like, that is the one shining aspect of this movie. I love Ed Harris to death one of my favorite actors, and I thought in this movie he was fantastic. But at the same time, I don't know if you guys saw this, and I'll ask you, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are playing Adam and Eve. And I don't know if you picked up on that for this movie. That's who they're playing. Well, yeah, I mean, again, I... See, and again, what I was trying to... What I was going to say before, the reason why... Because I knew you had seen the film already. So I yeah. knew for you there was no surprises. So I didn't want to, you know what I mean? Obviously, I can't ask you that right. question. But I know both mm-hmm. the doctor and the monkey had not seen it yet. And this is one of those cases in which, you know, just like every movie we watch, we always watch them with subtitles. And oh, unfortunately, yeah. for me, I feel like I don't know how I because I felt like because I was watching it with the subtitles, I got what this movie was. Right away, mm-hmm. like as soon, like pretty much as soon right. as Michelle Pfeiffer showed up, I kind of picked up on that this is a religious thing. He's God. This is why they keep calling him him. This is, and especially when their kids show up, I'm like, okay, this is Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. You know, exactly. so yep. this is this is the Bible. This is you know Genesis and and all of that stuff that was going on. You know, the house is the Garden of Eden, and from there I did see through my first viewing all of the representations of what they were trying to show within the film. And again, I appreciated it. You know, I thought it was something yes. different. Yep. It was fucking weird, and there was just some weird shit going on at times. Um, yes, it is a slow burn, but at that point that it kicks into high gear, it's like on fucking straight-up <laughs> cocaine, you know, like adrenalized fucking cocaine. Oh, the when that time. house gets yeah. fucking... In, yeah, when the house gets invaded, <laughs> it's fucking out of control. Um... Yeah, yeah. There, uh, there's, like, there's no middle gears. Like, there's no second, third, or fourth gear. It, it nope. literally shifts from first to sixth. You know, and all of a sudden you're like, what mm-hmm. the fuck is going on? <laughs> so, yeah, that that was the reason why I, w- I wanted to hear it from the monkey and then the doctor as far as, like, the, what their viewing of was it. Because, like I said, I feel for me, like, the subtitles, I felt like they kind of gave certain things away. You know, the fact that our characters weren't given names. It was him. It was mother. Like, yeah. I feel like if I would have like seen that. this in the theater without subtitles, I might not have gotten it until nearer to the end. And at that point, I would have been like, holy shit. See, I did not watch it with subtitles this time. And, yeah, I wasn't catching any of the names that was going on. And to be honest, without the Wikipedia explanation 
seriously, I could have watched this movie over and over and over again, and I never would have gotten that it was supposed to be what it is. Really? Honestly, yes. I appreciate that. No, it's just because, again, my synapses don't fire like you guys, where, you know, Ghoul, you're great at nailing the deep meanings of movies, and, you know, me, I'm all about, you know, popcorn and special effects and stuff like that. And this movie, I, you know, I honestly would have watched it over and over and would have seen the same thing over and over again just because the scene that nailed it for me was when the sons are fighting and, um, <clears throat> you know, they take off and go to the hospital, all right? Um, sorry, we'll call her mother, you know, steps out onto the porch, everyone's gone, okay? Right. And she doesn't step off the porch. And that's when I was like, mm-hmm. oh, so she's a spirit trapped in the house. She cannot leave the house. And that's and and yet everything is going around her and that's why I was like that's why I was starting to think, okay, so now she's having random memories flash back and forth because she would have at least seen them at least walking away or something, you know, and that's you know, again why I was taking this on a completely different path than you guys were. Well, you know, and that's and exactly I'll, I'll the film that I expected to see. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, I will cut in with this. What I did appreciate it about it is that when woman Michelle Pfeiffer is talking to mother, you know, about the house, she says, I intended to create this to be our paradise. So in essence, the house is the Garden of Eden. You know, this is the Garden of Eden that Mother Earth has created for God. So what I appreciated was she finds the picture of uh, him in the bag of, of, you know, who we see as man who's supposed to be Adam. And she goes, why does he have your picture? And he goes, I don't know. He's a fan. You know, we, we went on a walk and we talked and he told me that he's a fan. And he's dying. And I, I really want to talk to him and appreciate him. But it's the fact when they get kicked out, which is representative of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. That really kind of, I like that aspect of it. Like you're kicking these people out of your house, which is essentially Adam and Eve getting banished from the Garden of Eden. The house represents the Garden of Eden, but it also yeah. represents the world as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of those odd dynamics because the way the film works, or at least how like I was reading it, and there's a, a drop line that I don't remember exactly verbatim what it was, but it talks about time for a, a very short bit. And... Mm-hmm. I think what goes on in the film is that time is not linear, I guess is the best way to say it, because, Mm -hmm. you know, Adam shows up at the house, and then we see the sequence of him and and man in the bathroom. You notice the cut that's on his back where the rib was removed, Mm -hmm. and then woman shows up as his wife and she's already there. There's already a relationship there. They've already had kids right. because those kids are showing up. And again, I think this is where that play of the fact is, is that God and, and for, for planet, like time is not what it is for us. You know, we look at everything as such a right. limited amount, whereas, you know, God is obviously unlimited and, and the planet 
is only limited by its own resources and patience, essentially. Mm. You know, it's patience with us yeah. and what the fuck we do to yeah. it. Well, okay, see, now you bring that up, see, because this is, again, why I was fucking me up and I was taking this in a completely different way, is because, again, okay, we have, all right, you know, Cain and Abel, all right, one of the sons dies, all right, right. and then they and then they come back that night, that, that same night, all right, and mother is still dressed in her nightgown and whatnot, and yet everyone is showing up in funeral garb, you know, and bringing food and whatnot. And it was literally the day, you know, the day of the son dying, and then everyone showing up, you know, all dressed up and shit like that, you know, throwing the big-ass party and whatnot. And, again, that's why this was throwing me off, because, again, I didn't catch any of this shit. So that's why I was thinking it was, you know, glimpses and whatnot of what she was catching here and there is because, again, time was not solid. So that's why I was thinking she was just catching glimpses of past lives and whatnot all over the place. Well, mm-hmm. what I liked about it was that you have, and what I appreciate, like I said, you know, the movie, like I said, it, it is kind of tedious in some points, but what I did appreciate is that you have Javier Bardem playing him, and he's very kind of nonchalant about his life. Like, he's carrying on about his own thing. You know, these people come along, and they respect him, and they love him for the writer that he is. So he's constantly neglecting mother throughout this movie. You know, he's much more concerned about their well-being. You know, yes, of course you could stay here. Of course you could eat whatever you want. You could sleep here. You could stay as long as you want. You know, my house is your house. So when you look at it from a religious aspect, that's basically God saying, I created Earth, but I care more about the people that are in it than I care about actual Earth. And I'm much more concerned about the well-being of the people than I am of the actual environment that they're in. And this is why I created it, because this is my creation, and this is why I care about what I care about. Well, that's the thing, though. So here, he doesn't create Earth, at least as far as what I see within this telling. She does. You know, she is home. Okay. That is the exact line that we're going to get later. Um, yeah. I think, you know, him is representative of obviously him, God, but that he can create anywhere or Mm -hmm. with anything, you know, obviously he has created these things and it's not so much that he loves them. He creates them and then enjoys the love and the attention and everything that they're giving upon him. Um, everything again is, is all about worshiping him and seeing him and, you know, being inspired by him. And, you know, that's, uh, that's obviously something that we get painted through the relationship of how much we worship the creator Yet, but not can be completely abusive to the very thing that we live on. You know, we can sit there mm-hmm. and worship this invisible deity who we don't really see. And, you know, like, you know, we can believe in the spirit. And, you know, I'm not ever knocking anybody's religious belief. But, no, you no. know, religion is based on faith. It's based on believing mm-hmm. in something that is not always there to be seen. Yet at the same time, we can ravage and, and abuse and destroy the very physical 
thing that we touch on an everyday basis. You know, every day, you know, unless you're in a wheelchair, you get up and put your fucking feet on the earth. You know what I mean? That's the dynamic that they were kind of playing here. And, you know, doing that through the representation of a mother character, you know, yeah, it's definitely representative of Mother Earth, but I think it's also representative of just parenting in general. You know, how much Mm -hmm. mothers end up doing for their children. The fact is, they carry us into this world. We are in their wombs. We're in their bodies. We... We do things to their bodies, you know, that we don't obviously intend. We're we're just fucking zygotes and then, you know, whatever, then fetuses and whatnot. And then out we come. And then what do we do? We're fucking, you know, little little shit rugrats running around, being kids, doing this, doing that. Then we become old and some of us appreciate them, some of us don't. Um, You know, we see that and we never really appreciate the toll that we've put on those people until... The time is done, whereas what does the father do? The father just simply works. You know, he obviously donated the sperm, but, you know, he's not the one that carried us. He did a, he did a 30 seconds of work. <laughs> um, no, no but, also, but also, it's like, um, I also thought that, like, aside from this, they nailed the aspect of those of us who create. Okay? Um, all, 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 all three of us here do our bit to create. All right. Um, you know, we all work our bit on the show. We do our stuff. You know, but you know, and we do this to bring it out to our, you know, the Har family. You know, we, we love you guys. You know, but what we do for the show is work. All right. You know, it's like we get together, we bullshit and whatnot, but we bust our ass to make this show. And anyone who's actually worked like to where you are actually dedicated on a project. You know, and dedicate so much time, and it consumes you. There, you get to a point where any social interaction that you get is you welcome it with open arms. It's like the ghoul. You bust your ass with the ghoul gal doing, you know, the stuff for Bonfire V Design. Um, when you get to an actual convention and you get a chance to actually get out into the public and talk, you know, you welcome that. You love that. Actually, being able to get out and out of the workspace and actually talk to people. I had to do the same thing in comic book conventions where it's like I was busting my ass, you know, on artwork and stuff like that, but then when you actually get out and be able to, you know, see people, you welcome the love of strangers. And I thought they nailed this part of the creator welcoming the love of any stranger that was willing to come up and just be like, I love you, and it's like, well, who are they? I don't know, but they love me. You know, and I'm welcoming them into our house, you know, and that's the thing. is like, the king, you write, you know, I draw, the the ghoul, you keep the show going strong, you keep the, you know, the cool gal going with her stuff. You know, we all have our aspects of where we need to create, but then we get to a breaking point where we need social interaction. And the creator had been so encapsulated into the house where, you know, we have this moment of him going, you keep me trapped. You keep me trapped in this house. I need the love of others, and right. I completely and I and I completely felt that moment because it's like I I've been there where it's like I need to go out and you know I'm like I got to go hit hit a convention. I got to do a table because I need to talk to somebody outside of this fucking apartment, you know and <laughs> <laughs> you know well, and, and that's thankfully the, yeah. <laughs> sorry man no, okay. he doesn't mean it. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Diva. no, but they, no, but they, thankfully we have Facebook to you know reach out to you know 
a horror fans or something. You know, unfortunately. And, you know, oh, sorry, not that part. <laughs> we have a... <laughs> no, but we get to reach out to our family and talk to them every day. And, like, you know, it takes me back to when I first started doing conventions. And Facebook and MySpace and stuff like that wasn't around. And to only be able to reach out to the public was to actually go out and make yourself seen and to sit there and literally reach for attention. And I totally got that out of the creator. Mm-hmm. And it's like the... Uh... The scene after they have the funeral for Abel, uh, you know, the next day when Mother is talking to him and she's saying, you know, you care about all these people and you care about what they think and how they care about you, but you won't even fuck me. And that just leads to that argument where they end up going to bed and they have sex and she wakes up in the morning and says, I'm pregnant. Well, how do you know? I just, I know. But to me, this was the birth of Jesus to me. Like, this was the creation of Jesus in a way. Baby Jesus. Well, well, the whole thing that happens with the party, um, you know, during Abel's, you know, funeral and everything that happens there, um, you know, it's obviously representative of, you know, humanity being close to its creator, yet at the same time taking advantage of it. Um, And when the sink breaks and it floods it's representative of the great flood that wiped the Noah's Ark story you know exactly which Aronofsky also did in the movie Noah Um, Mm -hmm. but you know that so that's what that is so at that point too you have the fact that humanity has been wiped clean because of that flood Um, so hence the the, the house is empty they're there yeah she challenges you know this house is clean. This house is clean. Um, <laughs> you had, All the welcome. You had Michelle Pfeiffer at one point, you know, even challenging her over the fact that, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I thought you didn't want kids, but it's him. And right. he's the problem. And I think, you know, the whole idea was just that, you know, here he is, he can create, he can make, he made man. You know, he's telling, like, that's the thing, too. He's lying every time. You know, what we end up seeing is that he's kind of out of his fucking mind. But, you know, he created man, yet he's saying, oh, I don't know who he is, but you made him. Just like you made (laughs) women, and they made children, and whatnot, and whatnot. Um so all of these things that are his creations, like, yes, he created them, but he didn't make them, if that makes any sense. Like, yes, he created them out of dust um, right. or dirt or clay, whatever, whatever belief you're going to hold. Um, right. But an actual physical conception, which is what happens in this scene, is yes. I mean, obviously it's representative I of, thought it was of the child Jesus. Right, that's exactly how I took it. Like this is the, the, the coming of God's child, Jesus, to the earth. So the next hey, day when he finds out that she's pregnant. <laughs> well, Literally. <laughs> yeah. Well, when he finds out that she's pregnant, what does he do? In my mind, I don't know if you got to school, I know, you know, you had your problems, monkey, but he's writing the Bible. Like I feel like mm-hmm. this is his way of writing the Holy Bible. Like he's so inspired by this birth that she's about to give that he writes the Bible. And this is his biggest, you know, project to date. And he's so proud of it. He's so energetic about it. It's his creation. Like, this is his Bible that he's going to give to the people. 
it is the writing of what I how I took it. Because um, remember, the first, you know, man is talking about like you know, hey, you know, I, I appreciate your work. We know that he's written before. Um, like the first testament. Well, no, that's the thing. I took the, that writing as being the Ten Commandments. Okay. Um, okay whereas okay. I feel at this point, remember, he's not he's writing the Bible, but I think at this point he is writing the First Testament. You know, okay. he's writing first Bible at this point. He's not going to write the New Testament until after Jesus. You know, so that's why when everybody's talking, you know, when they're talking about her, she's the inspiration. Oh, this is this, this is that. It is all about being the creation of the earth. It was the book of Genesis. It was everything leading up Mm -hmm. to the New Testament at that point. He hadn't gotten to the sequel yet. Yeah, not the part part two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what I, like I said, I mean, I don't know about you, Monkey, but that's kind of the way I took it as, is that this is the creation you know, of the Bible, and this is the coming of Jesus, you know, into this world, that he's about to, you know, his wife's about to give birth. And Again, I'm sorry. excited about it. Dude, I'm sorry. It's like I'm a shitty host on this episode because I didn't get any of this. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's just I, could, I took this as a completely different movie than what you guys are seeing. But that was the thing is, like, that, like that's the weird thing about this movie is, like, if you don't go in and you don't catch it, like, yeah, you – like the ghoul said, it's complete. This movie is so. It can be so precise, but at the same time, it's so openly written to where it can be a movie that can be taken in any way. It, it, well, that is true, and I do like the fact that when he he finishes it, and mother is like, "You finished it? Like, can I read it?" And she reads it, and she goes, "This is so beautiful. Like, this is amazing." And he gets that phone call, and he's like, "Oh, it's my agent." And they love it. And this is going to be a huge hit. And she goes, what do you mean it's going to be a huge hit? Like, you just wrote it. Like, what do you mean? This is amazing. Like, you know, like, you just handed me your copy. You know, and I just, I love that kind of interaction where it's like he's working behind her. Like, he's already one step ahead. She's one step behind. Mm -hmm. He's already submitted this piece. And it's already becoming a huge hit. Okay. Whoa. Okay. But but at the same time, all right. But was he working behind or again, like the ghoul said, we have this, you know, timey-wimey, you know, jumbly-wumbly mess, you know, can time <laughs> be considered, <laughs> yeah, can, we, can time be considered linear in this movie, though? I don't think it can, but at the same time, I feel like he didn't care about what she really thought. Like, he already moved forward with everything he was working on. Like, it was just an afterthought to show her what he had written. Like, he had but already he moved still, on. He already created this. But he was still running around the house naked with the piece of parchment. <laughs> when the agent called. No, he wasn't. Well, no, he was done. He was standing in the doorway, you know, wearing all white like God would, <laughs> you know, with the parchment <laughs> saying, I'm done. I finished it. Do you want to read it? And she's like, of course. But then he gets that call of it's already done, and this is a huge hit. You know, this is your, your biggest hit to date. So, yeah, he, he never really cared about Earth. That's why I always thought about it. So he didn't really take well, a consideration. There's the time passage that occurs because what happens is is she goes through the whole I'm pregnant and shortly thereafter that he go he gets inspired and he starts to go and write. Mm-hmm. Then we see a small passage of time as she's getting the nursery ready. She's pregnant now. You know, she went from saying I'm pregnant to being 
pregnant. Jesus. She's got the full-on yeah. belly and everything. So time has passed, and I think it's one of the few times that we actually see visually that obviously a length of time has passed. Now, the one thing yeah. I'll say is I don't know so much if it was a matter of him doing it behind her or that he's ahead of her or anything like that, but if you think about any writer, you know, anybody that's publishing books and whatnot, they send things to their editors. They send stuff ahead of time to their yeah, publishers. So the yeah. so the fact that like the you know that that person would have already read, if not the whole thing, a portion of it, wouldn't be a surprise. You know what I mean? That would be normal in my you know in my estimation. You know as far as it goes. Right. So. You know, I just think that, you know, it's just, again, it's one of those things where she's kind of oblivious to everything and how everything works because she's just busy being, being, you know, just doing yeah. what she has to do. Um, you know, it's just that after that, yes, then everything again goes into its weird time loop because, you know, it goes from that phone call to all of a sudden, you know, people showing up at the house later in the night, you know, when uh, they're having their little celebration about the book getting released. Because she does say, she says, uh, what, the line is that, uh, what, all book, all copies sold in one day or whatever it was. Yeah, one day. Yeah, it was a complete one-day hit. And she wants to have that celebration, just him and her. You know, just having this dinner where she's going to cook for him and they're just going to sit and relax and have fun. And all of a sudden, all these people start showing up at their door and are just so excited to meet him. And they want his autograph and they want pictures with him and they just want to celebrate his work. And he has no idea who these people are. He's like, they just showed up. He's like, I, I have to take care of these people. They're my fans. Like, they, they love what I wrote. And they love me. The biggest, the biggest thing to me is that you get introduced to Kristen Wiig in the movie as the Herald, essentially, you know, heralding in this new book, and not only the new book, but also the coming of the, the son that uh, mother's about to give birth to. So just like in the Bible, there's a herald that goes around saying that the, second, the son's coming, and this is what we have to expect. So I kind of like that little aspect of that, is that she's playing that character. Yeah, I mean, I felt like she was, I felt like she was kind of playing a combination, too, though, um, because we never get a, a, an exact representation of the devil in this. Nope, not one point. Yeah, and I kind of felt like she kind of had like a twinge of that in there. The only reason being is there's that one specific scene where she's kind of like twisting certain things, and then all of a sudden she goes, oh, is, is it hot in here? You must be hot, you know? And I just, I, for some reason I just felt like that was some kind of message regarding that. And what I liked about this sequence, when everything just starts going to fucking shit, and the people are going to the house and they're just stealing shit, and they're taking the food, and they're taking the phone off the wall, and the one woman freaks out because she stole a vase and it broke. She's like, well, now i got to steal something else, like, you know, because I need something. <laughs> it's one of those things where I kind of felt like that was kind of a jab, you know, in a fun way, at people that take religion way too seriously where they worship way too hard and they just love their God or whoever they respect way too hard, you know, they just have to have a piece of this person, you know, otherwise they're not complete. And that's the way I kind of took it is that all of a sudden mayhem's breaking out. These people are religious, you know, fanatics. And that's mm -hmm. the way that they're taking it in this movie. And I appreciated that aspect because there are plenty of people out there yeah. that take it way too seriously. No, and then we have Ed Harris doing his form of baptism, if you will, to the crowd. With the ink mark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was, was good to see oh, so wait, does, does Zealot 
That wasn't Ed Harris. I thought it was. I mean, I might be mistaken, but he looked like Ed Harris. No. He might have been a different actor. It, it I thought no, no, he, He's listed as Zealot. So I think, you know, he's just okay. supposed to be representative of, you know, a guy that is is kind of pushing, let's say, one of the apostles or something to that effect. You know what I mean? Somebody that's definitely pushing this whole new new thing. But it's not Ed Harris. It was somebody else. I'm sorry. I took it as Ed Harris with his head shaved. I, like I said, I, I easily could have made that same assumption. And I think I did when I watched it this time around. I was like, you know, Adam came back. You know, now all of a sudden he's a religious zealot. So... I could I took it that way too, monkey. So you're not the only one, you know, that took it that way. No, I mean I, I could easily see where that would happen. Um, yeah, I mean I think I, I don't think it's so much just also showing, you know, how you know people can get crazy about religion as much as it kind of is just it shows not just religion with this. It shows fame, I think, as well. You know, we see people go to, like, even, like, conventions and stuff like that. Look at, you know, attacks that have happened on celebrities and people that take, you know, celebrity word for almost the word of God, you know? Like, people worship these people. And, you know, then we talk at the same time about, you know, false idols and whatnot. And that's, you know, what God warned us about. Um you know, so you have all this going on, but it's also, I think, just representative of society and all the different variations of it and all the different forms of worship and all the different, as we're going to see, all the different wars that are eventually fought. And see, it's at this point that, you know, that's that's what yep. made me realize that the house isn't just the Garden of Eden. The house is the earth in general because we're seeing right. This entire human history drama getting played out in front of us all within the house. And that's a great point to make, is that you have all these these wars waging on in this house towards the end of the movie. The most uncomfortable part of this movie came up after Mother gave birth, for me anyway, is, you know, she gives Mm -hmm. birth to this baby boy, and she's just so excited to have this baby, and she's so relieved, you know, and you think everything's going to be okay, at least for a minute. But it goes quickly to this jump where all of a sudden people oh, are in different clothes. And uh, Javier Bardem as him is holding up this baby, like Jesus, to the masses. And they've all just obsessing over this kid. And they quickly take it away from him and they're just carrying it along. This baby is screaming and peeing in the air. And just it was the, the worst oh. part of the movie for me because it's so devastating. You see this poor okay. baby being manhandled by all these people. Okay, but uh, uh, rewind just a minute. It's like, okay, mother gives birth to the baby. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget, we, we had this whole moment of mother holding the child preciously and yeah. him saying, give me the baby, and we have this thing yeah. going, no, no. And she mm-hmm. is fighting Protective. film. Yes, because now she is exhausted. She is tired. She has just given birth. She is protecting the baby while fighting sleep after having to give birth against a straight-up staring contest between mother and him. And we have this moment of she actually falls asleep. She wakes up to find that In different she... Yeah, to find out that he has taken the baby from her. You know, and... Which... And, it's, and she was... And any mother... Sorry, go what? No, well, what I was going to say is... is you know, there's a there's definitely a passage of time that occurs. Mm-hmm. So we don't know how long a period of time occurred for that standoff between the two of them. 
But, you know, you see the basket of food. Um, you know, when he opens the door to go out mm-hmm. there, because, again, this whole entire war is going on and fucking people are fighting. She's trying to get out yep. of the house. And this was something I, yep. I realized on the second viewing. She's trying to get out. Every Please. time there's, like, a door, you know, where you see people sneaking out a certain way, she's trying to get there, and he's constantly keeping her inside. Um, That's right. You know, like, he's like, no, oh, no, no, come this way, come this way. Um, so, like, it's in a way he's like, all right, you know what? You are kind of trapped here, even if you don't realize it. Um, and, yes, like, she gives birth, and then he goes out the door, and, like, he brings in a basket of food, talking about they're just all calm, and they're all, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're worshiping they're this and that. And, you know, it's I think it's supposed to be representative of what she – Bless you. Was that a sneeze? <laughs> um, is it? That's that's fitting. Um, well, well, we are talking. Here. <laughs> I think it's representative of Jesus's time on Earth. We never and see him obviously grow up and you know turn into the man Jesus, but it's right. the idea of the worship and the amount. Like they could have been there for years. They could have been there oh, for, yeah. what, I think thir- 33 years was when Jesus was crucified. Um, yes, he died at 33. So, because again, that time in this, you know, with these people and with these, these, this level of deity um, is not the same as it is for us. And yes, the scene in which the fucking kid gets dragged out, which you know, I, again, because I knew where they were going with this, I knew right. it was going to happen. You know, I just didn't expect it Still to be as visually brutal, and it doesn't ever lessen. It's not like nope. if you watch, like I've seen it now three times, and each time has made me cringe because the sound yeah. effect is fucking, it's, it's, it's just vicious. Oh. And the bending back of the baby's head at that particular yep. moment is just like, it's just obscene. And like, this is the kind of thing where like, you know, reading up afterwards on this film, you know, people were really torn about this movie. They didn't know what, you know, whether they enjoyed it. They didn't know whether it was right. just disgusting. Yeah. They didn't know if it was fucking blasphemous. There's just so much thought and like just so much that came out of this in us as people, which is fascinating. Um, you know, cause I just, I love people and the way our minds work yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. but, but it was but, very, uh, very disturbing. Yeah, but that was the other thing, though, was this whole scene. It's like a- after this, this extremely disturbing scene happened, so I went back and sit there and, you know, read the verses and stuff like that, and it was like, yeah, you know, in um, the, the book of John, it says, yeah, you know, but if anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have eternal life, and I will raise right. that person at the last day. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, it's showcased yeah. there. Yeah, and in an extremely grotesque way to where, the, you know, they took the, you know, Catholicism of the wafer and the wine, you know, and then took it into a literal fashion to where, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> you know, we we have this poor defiled child, you know, there, and it's just oh my god! Like when it happened, and you sit there, and he, you know, like like you said, Gold, you know, the sound effects were spot on for this moment, and and Mother Earth, she sees this shit happen, and she fucking loses her shit. 
Mm-hmm. And it's her being ravaged by these people. You know, like we had said, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is Sith, but at the same time, it's her as Earth being ravaged by these people. Beating up on her, tearing off her clothes, you know, just not caring about her as as Earth, you know, as mother. Just seeing her as what she is. So they're tearing at her clothes and, you know, just basically beating up on her. So it leads her to the conclusion of, I have to destroy this. I have to destroy this creation because these people don't deserve this anymore. And, I kind of and we've been watching that. throughout the film when she touches the walls of the house, she sees the heart. Mm-hmm. And the heart yeah. has been slowly, you know, every time something goes wrong, every time man kind of invades in some fashion, the heart turns to stone. And it's yep. just, it's like slowly making its way there. I do think, you know, it is, it's not not fucking subtle at all. I do feel like the beating sequence with her um, was Mm -hmm. also very representative of like how women are stoned in Middle Eastern countries, in the Islamic Mm -hmm. religion and whatnot, especially the words that they were using. And I mean, it was really, it was a horrific scene. Um, Yeah. You know, and then to have him, you know, come back in and, you know, it's at this point that I think it's supposed to be representative of the New Testament because he's talking about how, like, yes, they did this. It's terrible. And he's upset. And, you know, he's he's visibly, you know, broken up and really disturbed by what happened. But we must forgive them. You know, they're <laughs> sorry. And but they that know not what they is, do. Again, that is the whole idea of the the New Testament, you know, the, the idea between the Christian religions is the fact that we can be forgiven for all of our sins as long as we say we're sorry and do our, our penance and whatnot. And, you know, obviously we're supposed to really, we're supposed to really mean it in our hearts and all this and that, but, you know, I don't know, according to the church, we seem to get away with everything anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but that's when mother goes straight up X-Men on that shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Blows up the house. And that's why no. I like that sequence uh, of that whole thing where she just goes into the basement of the house to destroy everything because right. of these before, people in this house. But before that, she sits there and has this whole breakdown, like, of, for, you know, of you want us to forgive them. And she right. literally loses her shit and does, like, a whole old-school New Mutants Magma thing and breaks up the entire floor. Like, I don't know right. how the fuck she does that. But all of a sudden, she's got, like, these weird-ass fucking, you know, <laughs> Earth-based powers and can, you know, shift Earth and cause the sudden quake in the floor. You know, all all, all spiraling out from her. Right. It's like yeah. her having enough. You know, her just being done. You know, God, you know, as him, wants to protect these people, saying, you know, forgive them for they know now what they do. And her saying, fuck it, I'm done. You know, they don't deserve <laughs> A second chance. So that's why she goes. had enough of this shit. Yeah, and that's why I like that sequence at the end when him is cradling her as his burnt, you know, person, you know, just horrifically burned and dying, and realizing that he is the creator. He has to start over, and by taking her heart out of her again, and starting again. Which brings us right back to the very beginning of the film, which starts with you know uh, an unidentified young woman in a sea of flames before Jennifer Lawrence wakes up. Um, That's right. 
yeah, she, you know, while he's carrying her, you know, she asks him, you know, what are you? Because he's undamaged by the flames. We watch the flames wipe yeah, everything out. And, you know, yep. we see him close his eyes and he's engulfed. But now here he mm-hmm. is carrying this burnt out husk that looks kind of like uh, Anakin Skywalker uh, at the end of uh, <laughs> Benja the Sith. And, uh, I, I, got, I got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> I hate you! <laughs> you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you! <laughs> we're supposed to bring balance to the Force, not leave it in tatters. But for him uh, to do that, and when he actually admits that he's the creator, like, I am the creator, and this is what I have to do, and that's why she allows him to take her heart out, and he crushes it and creates a new crystal which we had glossed over that fact that he has that crystal in his, you know, study. And that's what Adam breaks. And he goes, oh, I didn't mean to do it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And that's when he casts them out. Because they Adam broke the heart. takes oh, part God. of the blame for it. But Eve is the one that broke it. She says, you hear her say, it slipped out of my hands. Adam, like Adam was guilty of showing, bringing her to it to see it again. Right. Yeah. Well, just... Just like the apple with the serpent, you know, mm-hmm. and Eve is the first one that takes the bite of the apple. And she tells Adam, just take a bite. It's fine. You know, so that's what I took it as, you know, but and then, the fact that he and then just like in the Bible, they Christmas. fuck right after because they were they, they, they were do. made to fuck yeah. afterwards. Too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, we're oh, so yeah. guilty. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but he creates that new crystal from the husk of mother. And when he creates that new crystal, you have the reset of Mm-hmm. Right at the beginning of the movie, when Jennifer Lawrence wakes up in bed and she goes, baby, but this time you have a new mother because the Earth is created again. again. So it's the recreation of Earth by the creator. So now you have a new mother, and that's what kicks off the ending of this movie, which I thought was brilliant. I love the fact that they had a new mother. It wasn't her again. It wasn't a recreation of Jennifer Lawrence. It was a brand new woman waking up in bed. I just, I just wonder... Again, like I said, like, you know, I, I also felt like with his look after he blows the, you know, the ash away and has the, you know, the crystal in his hand and he just gets that, like, it's like a evilish smile, laugh, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. But you have to question any, I mean, God, for lack of a better word, who is going to constantly create the same thing over and over again and again. Like, at what point does he think that there's ever going to be a difference? You know, he's obviously done this who knows how many times. You know, we know that we've literally witnessed the end of one, the beginning and end of another, and the beginning of a third. So, right. you know, how, how many times is he going to do this? Is he, how infinite is God, I think, is the good question. Until he gets it right. That's what I took it as. He's going to keep doing it until he gets it right. And that's however long it's going to take. Infinite amount of time. Yes. But it's but going it to was, take him as many times as it takes. Yes, but see, at the same time, it was Einstein who said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again yeah. and expecting different results. I'm pretty sure that was the internet that said that and not an actual <laughs> Einstein quote. Just yeah, it was. Up for debate. But, yeah, I mean, the one thing, you know, and, and quoting Probably. out from my end, is that I wish Einstein, they had... Unless by Einstein, you mean Yahoo movie. Serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, young Einstein. Great movie. <laughs> you know, but 
Yeah, I, I kind of wish <laughs> that there had been a representation of Satan in this movie at some point. You know, I know you get it from the Herald a little bit with Kristen Wiig, but I kind of wish there had been something there to represent the evil of the world. I mean, you get it with the people, you get it with the police bursting in, shooting off their guns, starting up holy wars, but I kind of wish that they had dropped in Satan at some point, you know, as a subtle kind of thing of representation. You know, you have the good, but you also have the evil. I think Aronofsky was just kind of going for the fact that, you know, people are inherently good or evil, you know what I mean? So, yes, I mean, obviously in this film, for the most part, you know, mankind was almost always evil um, or flawed as we are. Um, But, you know, I didn't feel – well, I – personally watching it, I don't feel like any of the the humans that we see in the movie are ever – Good, you know. I don't no, feel like any of them no. ever bring anything of positivity to the world in any way. No. Um, you know, and I think that's yeah. representative of the God Himself because even during the scene in which the child is killed, you have the zealot talking at that time, and he's actually using the same exact words that him had used during Abel's. Uh, funeral scene, which is, do you yes. hear the tears? Do you hear the crying? That is humanity. He lives on through that. Um, you know, and I think the idea is that if we have a flawed creator, we have a creator that is broken, then we are truly fucking lost because that means that we <laughs> as his creations are always going to be broken as well. And we're supposed to be made in his creation, you know, in his image. You know, if, if you follow that Catholicism, Christianity aspect, you know, mm-hmm. we are created in God's image. So if God's flawed, then it must mean that we're all flawed as well, you know, to follow in that same kind of track. So it's an interesting thing. And like I said, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this movie. You know, I, I enjoyed watching it the second time around because of the religious aspects of it. And I was looking forward to talking about it more and more, you know, on the show because I think it would lend to a great conversation, you know. And Monkey, I think that you should visit it again. You know, rewatch it sometime when you have a, a second, you know, and just kind of go back into it, you know, and rewatch it knowing what you know now. I think it'll make it for a much better experience, you know, a second time around. I'm good. That is how the ghoul girl feels about it now as well. She's like, you know what? I don't think I ever need to watch it again. No. You know, she's no. seen it twice no, you know, now. Okay. And... okay. No, but but at the same time, I want to say, uh, no, Google, I appreciated that you put the challenge out there of looking for something just because I know you like your challenges, like when you do your picks. You pick, you are very mental about your picks as far as you want something a little bit more than just slashing gore, you know. Like the same. But you get, ah, shut up. I had fun with that movie. <laughs> but. No, but you put a specific challenge out there. So I watched this movie with intent to watch something. And if I had not had a specific desire to look for something in the movie, be honest, after 45 minutes, I would have been like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm going to fucking Wikipedia this shit. You know? And <laughs> no, um, no, but because you gave the challenge and whatnot, I, I, I sat there and sat through it all and watched it all. I totally missed everything, but at the same time, I took it in a different way that was intended, but at the same time, wasn't a bad watch. 
you know, what? and I'm I'm just sorry that I missed everything. <laughs> I feel like yeah. such a shitty host this week. <laughs> no, man, that's that's the point, yeah. though, isn't it? Isn't that the point of life? Uh, that would, if you yeah. ask me, I mean, that is the point of this movie, and even yeah. in general, I guess the the creation yeah. of God Himself is the idea that we all live this life our way, and we see things mm-hmm. our way. You know, we're not meant to see things the same as everybody else. So I appreciate what you saw and how you saw this as, you know, as pretty much a traditional horror movie to a degree. And whether it was good or bad is, you know, that that's just up to conjecture, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was a good pick. And like I said, I'm not a very religious person. I used to be back in the day. I'm not anymore. You know, and like I was talking about the monkey last night, you know, for the past, you know, year or so, I've actually followed modern-day Satanism, you know, as, a, as an ideology. So that's kind of where Carol I'm Satan. at. Carol Satan! Carol Satan! Well, not even a Satan as a devil, but, you know, if you read up on it, you know, modern-day Satanism just basically says, be a good person. You know, don't rape women without consent. Don't abuse children. Just be yourself and love your life the way that it is. That's the way I live my life. You know, I don't you know, go to church. I don't believe in the whole religion thing, but it, it, you know, it works for some people. It doesn't work for me, but I like having a movie like oh. mother where it's open for debate. You know, these things that happen in this movie, it, it's fantastic. Well, ch- check out the, uh, if you want something interesting, check out the church of the cosmic skull. Um, okay. They are, they are a band out of England mm-hmm. that, also have a very interesting belief system. I've been talking to the uh, to the one lead singer, and he's also the writer of the music. It's very much like Floydish, um, okay, Abba, like it's all in those kind of veins. It's fantastic music, but it's also a very interesting uh, interesting thing they've got going on there. And uh, after a couple of discussions with uh, Brother Bill, as he's known, um, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm uh, I'm looking forward to exploring a little bit. Well, yeah, and I'll definitely check that out. Um, you know, for me musically, I'm really into Ghost right now, which is you know a band that's kind of a parody band where they worship. Gentlemen, less than five. So we'll talk about that in the future show. But Ghost, I would recommend to anybody that wants to get a different bend on it. But go, why don't you hit us up with a plug? Uh, before we close out tonight's show. Well, as I said earlier, you know, the ghoul girl watched this film with me, and uh, she has been creating more and more things. And just like him, she has, she is her. <laughs> and she's made some wonderful jewelry. <laughs> and if you go to her website at Etsy, Bonfire Bee Designs, all one word, you can see all of these things, and you can buy them. Um, she has a set of earrings that have been very hot lately called uh, creepy doll eye earrings or something to that effect. Okay. These fucking things are bizarre looking, man. They creep the fuck out of me. And they are selling like hot cakes. Um, you know, just like anything in this world, you never know what's going to end up selling. And these things are going like crazy. Uh, she has sold them across the seas already. Uh, a woman in Spain has bought them. A woman in England has bought them. As well as all the people that have gotten them here in the States. Um, also check out her Facebook page at www.facebook.com backslash Bonfire Bee Designs and the Etsy page, all one word, Bonfire Bee Designs. All right. So, you know, Monkey, why don't you sign yourself off? 
Tonight's episode is officially brought to you by Toolgly, the official personal lubricant of Talking Terror. Does that the ghoul? I don't use that shit. I don't use that shit. <laughs> there we go. All right, so the doc wasn't with us tonight, so we do not know what his pick is for next week, so we will announce it on the Facebook page next week as to what he's going to be picking. Uh, so we will announce that next week, and we look forward to seeing what he has for us. Maybe we'll go back to Canada. Who knows? But, uh, Ghoul, why don't you take us out? Stay scared, everybody. Be you. Be good to each other. Tail season. That's like the NPR <laughs> ending of the show. Be good to everybody. This has been Talking Tales. Don't kill babies. Don't <laughs> yeah. No, don't kill babies. no, no. It's not a good idea. So for the NPR ending. Don't you all want to live in a world where Talking Terror exists? Keep America strong. Watch horror movies. Until next week, everybody. We love you all. <laughs> Get off the